Welcome back to A Place Called Porch. Today we are continuing our series about tribal land, and it is my honor to have Lori Stinson, who is our Attorney General, and Venus McGee-Prince, who is our VP of... Compliance. Compliance. I wanted to say regulatory affairs, and I'm like, no, that's not that's not it. Um, Venus McGee Prince, who's our VP of Compliance at Wind Creek Hospitality. Thank you both for being here today. Happy You're welcome. To be here. Yeah, really appreciate it. So we are talking about land, and both of you have this great legal perspective that you both bring to the table. Um, Venus, you bring that perspective both from a gaming perspective, but also from your time working in the interior. Um, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, it was. Um, I got to be an in interior 2013 to 15 and get a sort of an inside view, <laughs> insider's view of uh, what the process was like, um, which was really interesting after my experience here, you know, for seven mm-hmm. years when we were actively expanding and needing to look at our trust lands and, you know, and seeing it, whether we could put applications in to expand our trust land base uh, for gaming. Um, and it was. I mean, I don't want to go into all the specifics, but it, it was eye-opening to see the depth of review that happens at Interior and all the many steps that have to be taken and all the I's that need to be dotted, T's have to be crossed. And then, especially for certain controversial applications, um, to see how, you, you know, um, the assistant secretary, who was my client, you know, when I was at Interior, you know, would get phone calls from legislators like yelling at him about, you know, certain applications and that type of thing. So um, it really was eye opening to see it from that perspective. You know, Because I think what's interesting about land, too, is um, it's something that you need to take care of your people. But there's also a lot of political influences that are attached to land as well right always <laughs> yeah. you're talking about taking land out of one jurisdiction somebody mm-hmm. else's purview and putting it in another jurisdiction it it becomes touchy i mean because it it you're losing you're losing part of your land base when it comes into trust if you're the county or the state or the city and so it it becomes political at times i mean and and not just that i mean you've also got tax bases that are affected by it so it's it's revenue it's money it's taxes it's um, police jurisdiction fire jurisdiction i mean all of those things come into play and Mm -hmm. there's so even in the very detailed like it's depending on what type of trust land acquisition i think it's like 13 to 18 official steps that are taken Mm. you know um there is a an opportunity there's a notice that goes out for comments, you know, mm-hmm. on the application. And it's an opportunity for all your local government, state governments, anybody who wants to comment on the trust land application, you know, to make their comments. And, you know, they're frequently, they're losing taxes, as Lori was saying. They're losing, you know, this, that, or the other. Um, and so that, that becomes a whole different political issue of then tribes are having to negotiate I know Lori's very familiar with these intergovernmental agreements um, to kind of take care of some of these jurisdictional issues. And, of course, all the locals are always wanting money, you know what I mean, that, you know, in lieu of the taxes they're losing, which isn't what the law really envisioned, Mm -hmm. you know, when it was passed, but it's what's happened. And it's kind of interesting because I was talking about this, I think, last week with someone, which is like 
a lot of our land, if we were to take it and put it into trust today, I mean, a lot of it's agricultural, which literally you pay absolutely nothing in taxes on agricultural land. Mm. But, you know, if we were to take it and put it into trust today, your local and state governments may be looking for a big payment because they would be taking it out of their jurisdiction. But they're really not losing. They're probably losing less than $100. Oh, wow. Mm. So, but... But what they see is, what are you going to do with that land? Mm-hmm. But they forget, too, that you can't just go put up a gaming facility, facility right. on land that's taken into trust tomorrow. You know, So they, they think that there's big money coming to that piece of land, but really it's not. It's probably not even going to change use right, as to what it is right now. Right? So let's but, talk about that a little bit. Um, so there are, for purposes of this conversation, there are basically kind of like three different types of, of land, right? There's fee, trust, and reservation. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, we're good. And so Katie did a little bit of research for us and found that the federal government holds 56 million acres of land and trust for Native American tribes and individuals. And so, um, Apparently, from our research, it looks like that trust land qualifies can can qualify as a reservation, but um, just because that land is held in trust, does it doesn't automatically mean it qualifies as a reservation? Correct, correct. Because okay. <laughs> reservations are like more have boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean, so you can have trust and fee. And restricted fee and other types of land within reservation boundaries. Oh, okay. You know? mm-hmm. Okay. Um, which is why it gets really complicated at times, you know, uh, depending on what issue you're right. addressing. Because ours is more of a checkerboard mm-hmm. reservation where you've got trust and fee right next to one another. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes a little complicated because one's in your jurisdiction and one's not in your jurisdiction. Okay. So what... So. What makes a reservation? You said boundaries for one thing. Usually it's set by, it's either set by Congress and a statute or the secretary, you know, has set the reservation boundaries. But usually they're kind of historically drawn. Okay. You know what I mean, in that sense, unless there's a tribe that's newly recognized, then the secretary, you know what I mean, might, or if Congress passes an act recognizing a new tribe or whatever, it could change. But mm-hmm. um, in general, it's something that's usually been established a long time ago. <laughs> you know, so we can't, we're not adjusting. Even if um, a, land, a new parcel is taken into trust, mm-hmm. even if it's outside of the historical reservation boundaries, it doesn't automatically extend the reservation boundaries. Okay. Okay. That's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I did, And, like, I'm learning a lot through this as well. So this has been fascinating for me. <laughs> um so, okay, so, Lori, you were just talking about that just because land is taken into trust, it doesn't automatically mean that you can game on it. So, right. what are those, what do those land uses look like for reservation and trust land? Oh, I mean, you can use it for, for anything, but gaming is restricted, and Venus may have to help me on the year, 1890, 
nine eight eighty eight eighty eight. I've been watching too much Taylor Swift. That's which <laughs> 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 we've been getting tickets. Nineteen nineteen eighty eight. Eighty eight is when it passed. Oh, that's IGRA, right? right, right, right. Indian Gaming right. Regulatory Act. Right. Yeah. So if it wasn't taken into trust prior to eighty eight, eighty eight or prior, mm-hmm. then you can't unless it's. There, contiguous. There are a few exceptions. One would be contiguous to to prior correct. Uh, there are, lands. It is really. I, I think the larger public has no idea how complicated it is to actually get additional land into trust for gaming. Okay. And any, I mean, it because as Lori was saying, like if it wasn't in your possession, I mean, wasn't in trust prior to or at 1988. There's only. Three, and this three is where I start to let's mm-hmm. refresh my memory. Three exceptions, I think, and one is within or contiguous to your reservation. One is a, uh, an initial reservation, I believe, like what I was describing yeah. earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and another is, oh, my goodness, let me remember the other one. Um, I think, oh, I think if it's like part of a settlement, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, um, okay. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and beyond that, the only way it can be taken into trust is, I mean, it's only a handful of times that actually has happened is like the two-part determination, mm-hmm. which basically means you can apply for it, but the secretary has to agree that it's in the best interest of the tribe to do it, and the governor has to concur. Oh, and you can take a wild guess at how many times you get a governor to concur with putting <laughs> <laughs> additional land under trust for gaming, yeah, you know what I mean, right, um, yeah. with all the political and yeah. commercial, frankly, yeah. mm-hmm. really, and commercial mm-hmm. interests that are yeah. in the state. So, so that's really interesting because I know that a, a lot of times, you know, and, and I know especially whenever we acquired the um, OA property, if we heard it once, we heard it a million times, are y'all going to put a casino down here? The definitive yeah. answer is no. Correct. No. Yeah. <laughs> and unless we somehow got an Alabama governor to, to agree to it. Yeah, that'd be it. That that'd would be, be the only way I think we could ever. Mm-hmm. And that's assuming that even the Department of Interior at the time, because you got to remember the administration's change, would be willing to let us, you know, have a parcel that's, you know, 50 miles away from mm-hmm. our actual reservation. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, even like Congress, when Congress takes congressional actions to put land into trust for different tribes, mm-hmm. that's one of, a lot of times that's one of the, the caveats they add in the bills are prohibitions on gaming. Yes. Because they don't like right. to see new gaming yep. parcels being put into trust either. So, yep. um, isn't that interesting though? Because on one hand, you would think, Okay, you have tribes who are trying to be self-sustaining and independent Mm -hmm. and sovereign and take care of your own people. And based just historically on on trends, you know, the best way that tribes have been able to do that is through gaming. And it's not successful for every tribe. There are a lot of tribes who have gaming endeavors and they're not wildly successful, but... For most, you know, most cases, gaming certainly helps supplement those funds and and helps to um, taper off that assistance that a lot of tribes require and really need and look to from the federal government. So does that seem a little, uh, and I'm just asking, does it seem a little bit of a, a backwards like way of thinking, do you think? It, yeah, I yeah. mean, from our perspective, obviously, yeah. it is very backwards. But I think it really depends these days on the tribe mm-hmm. and what its original 
reservation and land base is because to your point, like there are tribes who have had gaming ventures that really didn't do well because they are out in the middle of nowhere and they Mm -hmm. don't have a, you know, they don't have any type of metropolitan, you know, metro base, you know, to pull population to pull from. Um, But so, and I think the trust land issue becomes even more important for some, some tribes who are in areas where, Maybe they need a whole lot of trust land for whatever their energy development is or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they have housing needs or others. You know, so there's lots of reasons that they may need a huge land base. We're kind of fortunate that we've been able to make really good use of the small amount of trust mm-hmm. land we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and But we've also been able to do things like OWA and like, you know, other things without it being in trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that it, the hardest part for us, I think, is that usually, and Lori can speak to this too, because I know she's living and breathing it every day right now. But like having, honestly, trust land is kind of the foundation on which you can exercise a lot of your sovereignty mm-hmm. as a tribe. I mean, so it's when you don't have, when like, you know, she's encountering, I'm sure, like issues with local government and everything because you know, we have tribal members all around, you know what I mean? And and we have different things going on. Uh, but we want to be self-sufficient and mm-hmm. exercise our mm-hmm. rights as a sovereign government, you sure. know. But usually that land base is usually, mm-hmm. you know, how you, from where you do that, you know what I mean? So yeah. we've, we're kind of dancing around it. Let me just be direct. What is it about land that is so important for tribes. Why? Why is land so important for Native Americans and for for? And I will just say for federally recognized tribes in particular. I think Venus said it, which was it, that's the way we exercise our sovereignty. I mean, we can have laws, but they only apply to our land, land base. Mm-hmm. So, the more land you have, the more jurisdiction you have. So your laws apply. Yeah. I mean, you know. Criminal laws um, only apply to our land base. Mm. When they're off of our land base, they the state applies. Right. Yeah. Um, civil laws, our ability to tax. So, you know, we mm. have our own tax code, just like a state or local government. But our taxes don't get paid to the tribe unless you're doing business on our land base. Mm. I think you just go back to, like, think, think about sovereign governments. Mm-hmm. Most sovereign governments have land. They're mm-hmm. exercising sovereignty over, you know, I mean, a certain land. You usually don't have a sovereign that has no land base. Mm-hmm. I mean, stronger and, sovereigns yeah. have larger land bases. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. You know, you think about your tiny little countries that, yep. you know, your Luxembourgs or, you know, <laughs> that, that have very small. I mean, they're not as strong as, you know, your superpowers who have, you know, a large, a large, large land, land base. Yeah. So true or false. Are there federally recognized tribes that do not have any land in trust? Yes. True. 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 And I think that's part of what we were mm-hmm. going to. It makes it really hard for them to actually exercise their sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think mm-hmm. that's why you have that exception and, you know, having land taken into trust for gaming for those tribes who have an initial sure. reservation mm-hmm. um, because they... Interior recognizes it's almost like giving you the name without yeah. like the 
authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. like, okay, you can call yourself a tribe. <laughs> then what are you going to do with that? Just think about all the things. I mean, you know, if you think about the, you look at resolutions that the tribal council may pass, you know, really a lot of things go to the laws and to your jurisdiction. They mm -hmm. don't go, I mean, if you didn't have anything, I mean, one, you don't have any revenue base. So you're probably not giving away money. So mm -hmm. there goes all that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not, you're not passing any ordinances because you have nothing to govern. Mm -hmm. um, there's just really not a lot for you to do. And the political issues we were talking about earlier with state and locals have kind of undermined a lot of tribes' ability to exercise sovereign, uh, like, authority over things like taxes. Because what's happening is they are like, well, we need to be paid something in lieu of the taxes. And so then the tribe's essentially having to pay doubly and in, in mm -hmm. some ways or you know or like because if we taxed if we did income taxes on you know <laughs> all, any tribal members you know or, that lived within our reservation mm -hmm. boundaries you know we're like, yes you're going to pay income tax they're paying alabama's you know That's what I mean? so like then you're yeah oh, so which belief. you could do but most tribes understandably don't want to impose that mm -hmm. you know on their on their tribal members and other people that live on the reservation mm -hmm. This is so interesting, really. And I think that there are a lot of things that people just don't understand about our land. What are, so we can game, we can enforce our um, own laws. What about, I know that some issues um, that exist for other tribes are hunting and fishing rights. Now, I don't think we see a lot of that here so much. I think it's because we don't have as much. Yeah, I mean, like if we, if we um, and I think, I think a lot of those are historical based too. And a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it was in their treaties, you know, and they, they were sort of given hunting, fishing, you know, water rights and, you know what I mean, different mm -hmm. things, you know, in their original treaties. Um, and we don't, and we're not, we don't have reservation land that's kind of in conflict with some other local mm -hmm. hunting, fishing, you know. Water right? rights, well, yeah. yeah. So I think, we kind of don't have those same issues that the, particularly mm -hmm. the Western tribes, mm -hmm. you know. Because I mean, well, actually, in the and the Northeastern tribes, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Whenever I think of fishing rights, I usually think of salmon and mm -hmm. Northeastern yeah, yeah. Pacific, Northwest and Alaska, yeah, Alaska. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then um, hunting rights, I'm less familiar with for sure, um, but. We just, but we don't really have those issues here, though. No, no. Mm -mm. Um, but there are a lot of tribes who do. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they are very, because a lot of those, it's coming out of the cultural mm -hmm. ties to the mm -hmm. land. Mm -hmm. It's coming from the fact that they culturally, these, many of their ceremonies and everything else are tied, you know, to these hunting, fishing, you know, yeah. right. And a lot of their cultural teachings, too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about, um, I've even heard of some tribes that, um, particularly in the West and, um, you know, I'm thinking like more Southwest probably, but water rights are a huge mm -hmm. issue huge. because you have farmers in the surrounding areas that mm -hmm. compete for that mm -hmm. same water space and resource really. And I've even heard of them like damming off, um, I, that, Interior deals with water rights a lot. I'm sure. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, they're, they're huge, you know, for those tribes. I mean, well, you, 
it's easy things like California <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. struggling to like get the water they need. And the Colorado River in particular is huge because so many tribes and states you know, I mean, are uh, all vie for the same are, rights. That's right. They all vie for the same rights. And, um, and that it goes just not even the surface water, the groundwater, you know, I mean, rights. I mean, it is a very complicated. I mean, people spend their whole careers focused on, you know, just this water rights issues. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, because it also like I was reading a little bit about um, mineral rights, even. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so that's a whole other it's, subsect of absolutely. land and property rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was reading, and I don't, I think I'm correct on this. The mineral rights actually um, is something that's negotiated in that trust land. Like somehow, how it's. Hold on, let me let me go back to my paper here. <laughs> um, hold on, is it in here? Or did I just read it? No, I must have just read it somewhere. So it's usually negotiated in a cell. So that okay. I mean, like you don't always get mineral, especially in this day and age. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the time you purchase something in this day and age most of the time the mineral rights have already been sold many many years ago or kept retained by previous owners mm-hmm. so i mean you, know, you don't you don't necessarily always have mineral rights that go along with the land when you when you purchase it today so well and i i am not hugely familiar with mineral rights i know it, it came you know came up while i was an in interior I mean, but a lot of tribes you know they got paid for um, you know, for their mineral rights, and you had companies come in and, like, you know, mine them, mine them, mm-hmm. and you know, and the fracking and all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of. And but and now it's kind of really messed up. The, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, I, you know, so it's um, it's I, it's a hard issue all around. I think with those because I mean, obviously, the tribes need the money. You know what I mean, that comes from these mm-hmm. things, and yet um, you don't want to, you know, just destroy your own land you know i think it's a hard issue with a lot of factors to balance Mm -hmm. how closely did y'all follow um and i know that it's still like an ongoing thing too to a certain extent but um the water protectors and um with the pipeline that was coming through like i know that that didn't directly influence us but did was there any were were there any potential outcomes from that that could have impacted us from a you know pipeline and water rights and all of that because you know the issue there was hey we don't want this pipeline coming through Mm -hmm. here because if you do this we're depending on the water it's going to um pollute the water here and and the people here suffer for it, not the people that are getting the oil and and the Mm -hmm. resources that are coming through the pipeline right I can't think of any direct, you know, kind of consequences Mm -hmm. or impact on us. I mean, I I have no doubt that there's probably legal precedent of some sort (laughs) that may have been may get set or be you know be set by um, those legal issues at play, Um, but nothing that would probably impact us directly. And I guess the larger issue really is whenever there are things like land issues or things about land and, you know, taking land into trust or property rights that um, impact tribes. Is that only felt for that one particular tribe or is that a ripple effect that could be felt across Indian country? Oh, there's, 
I'm, yeah. Anytime <laughs> you have a case yeah. or laws or, Absolutely. I mean, there, there's precedent that, that impacts us all. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's one reason we have these different kind of consortiums or like in a USET or an NCAI or no, and, mm-hmm. and we all, they, you know, they have a litigation committee that gives a litigation update, you know, NCAI. Um, and, you know, I think it's because all the tribes are interested in what cases are going through the courts and what issues are at play because, Absolutely. Even though, you know, for example, a Ninth Circuit decision may not kind of dictate what happens in our circuit, you know, I mean, it it can be borrowed from, you know, Mm -hmm. it can be influential. It can be influential. And so, or anything that goes up to the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, you know, then really could impact us. So I think it's why a lot of tribes get involved. You see a lot of amicus briefs written, you know, I mean, for when it's a case like that, that is kind of risen in the courts um, and is kind of going up to a circuit court level or the United States Supreme Court level. Um, and just for amicus briefs are things that are written. They're called tech, the friends of the court. Friends, that's right. <laughs> friends of the court. Thank you. Friends of the court. If, if you think you're rusty, I'm super rusty. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only had one year, man. Only had one year. <laughs> Yeah, um, basically, it's for anybody who has an interest in the case, you know, who wants to write about a specific legal issue at play, you Mm -hmm. know, or from a certain perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so like with the Indian Child Welfare Act case that was up at the United States Supreme Court, you had, I mean, I forgot how many, Lori, do you remember like 30, 50 amicus briefs? A lot. There were a lot, you know, that went in from like the child's, you know child's perspective the social worker's perspective mm-hmm. the adopted parents perspective i mean like you just had a bunch just tons, tons just tons, tons of so that's a way for people to weigh in on yeah, the issue exactly. even though it's not specifically their issue correct, at the time like correct. they're not the ones having to defend or um advocate for right because i know sure. some friends uh friends of mine who uh wrote i think there was a law professors a tribal law professors, law professors. brave you know but you know, they can be very useful. I mean, mm-hmm. one of one of them was a couple of them get cited by mm-hmm. the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and their decision, you know, so mm-hmm. it actually matters very much that mm-hmm. people weigh in and mm-hmm. give different perspectives because the law clerks that are sitting behind the scene, they are actually reading through each of these briefs, you know, and so they might get ideas or ways to approach, you know, the, the case and the holding, you know, so... Mm-hmm. So one thing that I found interesting whenever I was thinking through about land rights and stuff and also knowing that what happens with one tribe can definitely impact all of the 560-something. Tribes that are federally recognized in the United States. Um, and I was like, you know, in one sense, because it's supposed to be a government-to-government, a nation-to-nation relationship, it almost seems unfair that one is able to impact all all the rest versus on an in- individual independent basis. If we're truly to be almost like a, a nation within a nation, um, but do you think that in some ways we're, re- we're really more like states? Do we get treated more like states, do you think, than nations? Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, what's really strange is we are not, in some ways we are treated like states, and in other ways we are treated less than states. Less than states, 
And then in some ways, we have something very unique. This remain from states. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. like, you know, just the fact that, you know, we have, you know, many, 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 many tribes, you know, have these treaties, which actually matter a lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, they, and where the, whereas states are kind of one part of the United States Constitution, tribes are referred to specifically as well. That's you know true. I mean? So it is, yeah, so it's sort of like, yeah, in some ways we're less than states, in some, st- some ways we're treated similarly, you know, and in other ways we kind of have a very unique status. Mm-hmm. How well do you think, um, and I'll caveat by saying this may get down a rabbit trail, so we might have to <laughs> go back in. But, you know, one thing that comes up a lot, too, are those treaty rights. And I don't really hear us talk a lot about our treaty rights. Do we have any? We have treaties that apply. We have treaties that apply. Uh, but they weren't, I mean, like we talked about the mm-hmm. hunting and the water. It, they don't they specify. Specific, yeah, they didn't specifically address things like that. It was more about land grants mm-hmm. um, than they were about what we could do with the land, I guess. Um, so you don't hear us refer to it quite as much as maybe and others. I, and I think our applicable treaties were addressing wasn't just with one tribe it was addressing a larger situation yeah yes. I mean, and yes. so like it wasn't as where some tribes you know had the united states contracting with Navajo or, or well, you know or that kind of thing mm-hmm. so a specific and then they addressed all of the different issues that might mm-hmm. be that come up for that tribe mm-hmm. right right ours is just broader the treaties mm-hmm. that you know impact because and, and i guess one of the things too is i think about um so i've been reading, well, listening to a book I don't read as often as I used to. Um, Those quiet times are (laughs) not very frequent and few and far in between. Um, Infrequent, not frequent. Um, But the book that I was reading, it was talking about how um, the land was dispossessed, essentially. And it talks about how, you know, even some of those um, treaties that were signed for land secession, it was signed by maybe like one or two people. They didn't have, probably more than that, but essentially they didn't have the um, consent of the entire Creek Nation. They were acting sort of almost independently. And as a matter of fact, you know, some of them got killed for it because it was something that the Creek Nation said, hey, you know, you're not allowed to do this. The um, penalty for acting or signing any anything that's going to bind the entire Creek Nation, the penalty's death, and they they did they killed them, but um, but those things still stood in place, and so I, I always find that kind of interesting too. Whenever you start thinking about the basis for which those treaties were signed, mm-hmm. you know, because you had a lot of other things at play historically, and that really you know leans into more of a coercion sort of situation too so i just and of course it is what it is now right i mean there's no turning back the hands of time and the united states is not going to say you know what we did was wrong and we're going to give you back all these acres of land because it was wrongfully taken you know they're not going to do all that but you had it today somebody would sue and say they didn't have they lacked authority that's right you have a huge debate over whether they had authority or not and i think i mean you're right like bottom line is when all of that stuff was happening the united states well what would become the United States? They were, you know, in some time, and um, they weren't used to dealing with nations like 
the Creek Confederacy that had multiple towns mm-hmm. with leadership. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that it was not, it was a confederacy. It wasn't what I think they were used to. Where, where it's one, one king or queen mm-hmm. like that's in charge, mm-hmm. you know, everything. Yeah. Um, so there's no doubt, like, in this mm-hmm. day and age, we'd be like, those people that signed probably didn't have the authority to right. yeah. do all that, yeah. you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, they appeared to. I guess to okay. the people. <laughs> <laughs> they appeared to have that authority, you know, so the rest of us live with it, right? That's right. So, from a political and legal um, standpoint, what sort of obstacles? I'll first start with Quartz Creek. What sort of obstacles are we facing when it comes to our land rights? Um, and then, on a broader note, I want us to kind of talk about maybe what, from a broader perspective, do other tribes? Politically and and legally, what are some issues that they're facing when it comes to land and property rights? But we'll start with Porch Creek first. What things have we seen when it comes to land and property rights? I'd just say that the uh, probably the biggest hurdle we've had since I've been here is you know we I've never participated in a land and trust application. We've talked about it since we've been here since I've been here. We've considered it for several parcels, uh huh. But we've never we've never made the move because actually you had a time period in there where there was a Supreme Court case, Carcieri, which we our favorite case, our favorite case, yeah. Yeah, which uh, it, it kind of put things on hold and into question. And then we, and then for a very long time for us, we were just defending what we had. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of almost gotten through all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it's, that's really prevented that case really has prevented us from thinking about how we could expand our land base for the future and and i think that that is absolutely right because we thought about putting you know several parcels and putting in a trust application and to be frank non-gaming trust applications while still very long and you know arduous and like the documentation and, you know, taking probably two years, you know, to do, you know, there you, you usually get those through. I mean, we particularly I was thinking Magnolia Branch, mm-hmm. you know, we really thought that is a perfect trust application. We want to just preserve it. You know, mm-hmm. we're not planning mm-hmm. to do anything. We're not changing the use of it at all, you know, and and we've thought about that. But Cartier really is the case for us that threw a wrench into it because, you know, it opened the door for people who don't want us to be able, you know, to, be do able to do that. You know, yeah. and for them to be able to challenge, you know, something. And I really think that Cartier is the landmark case of our sort of era, I guess, that we have oh, seen um, that's really had large impacts, not just for us, but oh, for it's all across. It's the impacted yeah. so many tribes and yeah. um, in a lot of ways, uh, such a terrible precedent. Oh, it was awful because it ultimately changed. I mean, when I when I went to Interior, it, it really was it was damage control, really, mm-hmm. because it fundamentally changed how Interior had been interpreting and applying the IRA and its land and trust process. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. you know, all these all these years, you know, and and so it's um, yeah, it's just made it more difficult for everybody. You know what I mean, because it really just put a put a wrench and mm-hmm. um and it gave opponents you know something else to challenge anybody who wanted to challenge tribes it gave them another tool mm-hmm. you know? and we have been challenged yeah we have yeah it, multiple, multiple occasions particularly once we 
expanded our gaming footprint. Yep. Um, and not necessarily just, and not not speaking in terms of the locations, those have been existing for a while now for for our tribe, mm-hmm. but more um, expanding our operation as far as going up and um, the number of games that we offer and the um, success that we've experienced. Um, it really has put more of a bullseye on our back in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And um, while while governors may not be able to come in and raid our casinos, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there are other ways that they have tried to chip away at our sovereignty. And that's a term that we that mm-hmm. I've heard quite often mm-hmm. since working for tribal government. They're they're chipping away at our sovereignty. Um, and so what what does that mean? How how do they use the legal system to chip away at our sovereignty? I mean <laughs> that's good that's a that's a hard question to answer because I think it's got so many facets. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, you know, we're we're fortunate now that we have resources, you know, just to defend the lawsuits. You know what I mean, that come at us. Um other tribes don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and so just initiating a lawsuit can drain a tribe's mm-hmm. you know, resources mm-hmm. immediately, which then gives the tribe less money to provide health care and education benefits. I mean, and all of those That's things right. to its mm-hmm. tribal members or to or to build the infrastructure right. that they need, mm-hmm. whether it's for housing or for the exercise of, you know, any of their um, their rights to, you know, make laws and all of that. It just is sort of. Draining in that sense. I don't know, Lori, other thoughts? You know, I mean, we talked about some are being challenged on water and and hunting and mineral rights. I mean, you know, some are, we we face challenges on taxes Mm -hmm. and and ability to game. And and so there's so many ways that outside forces can come at tribes, you know, to chip away at that sovereignty. It's just really, I mean, you kind of have to look at, if you look at what the tribe is doing successfully, that's probably what the target is. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, sure. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because I mean, you know, if for us, you don't come at us a mineral or hunting or, because we don't have any of those issues mm-hmm. and that's not where our successes are. Successes of gaming. So therefore you, you hit us from that, you know, from revenue and from, from your, your strong point. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's where we're also fortunate too, that we sort of diversified and like a lot of our gaming now is commercial. Mm-hmm. So we've avoided mm-hmm. the, you know, we've avoided yeah. their ability to challenge us, you know what I mean? And the sense of we're behaving as any other gaming corporation would behave when we, you know, when right. we acquire property, mm-hmm. you know, or that type of thing. Um, but there's no doubt, like to me, I think even, even going back to the intergovernmental agreements that are like now essentially required, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? If you get any land taken under trust and that kind of thing. To me, that is a big just uh, that it's almost like that, you know, you're, you're uh, chipping away, just chipping away because you're, you're requiring us to pay local governments for things that frankly, a lot of them don't do. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and they, and it's just another way for them to get the taxes from the land right. you know, that, you know, we get taken into trust. Um, but the, the good news, though, if, you know, if we ever decide to move forward to get more land taken into trust is 
once it's in trust, it is super hard to get it out of trust. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, it to is. my knowledge, I don't know if the secretary has ever taken, well, at least maybe in some other special context, but in general, I know, you know, some of our discussions at Interior used to be, well, hmm, how are we going to go about it if we actually have to take a parcel out of trust? I mean, it, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's doable at the end of the day, but it's it's really difficult. Well, know, because that standard is so high to get it in there in the first place. Correct. That's and right. you have to That's check right. so many That's boxes right. and you have That's to provide right. so many, docu- you know, documentation and this, that, and the other. And that standard is incredibly high. It's very stringent. Right. Um, and so if you were able to meet that standard, then chances are there's no reason to have to undo it. That's right. That's right. And and most of the time, and I, I've been a witness to it now, Interior is full of attorneys who are focusing on each step of that process mm. and, and documenting, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the title opinions and then documenting the environmental assessment or EIS that's required. And then, you know, and then de- documenting and responding to comments from the locals and the state. Now, all of that gets very well documented so mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, even if they challenge, um, they challenge a decision to take land into trust in court usually the U.S. will prevail, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, because of how well documented, well documented everything mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Last question. <laughs> what can individual members and citizens of tribes do to advocate for our rights, particularly land rights, if anything? I think it first starts with electing people that understand I think as tribal citizens, we do a really good job of being informed at the tribal level, but we don't necessarily take as much interest in the other levels of government. Mm -hmm. But you are also a local citizen. You are also a county citizen. You are also a state citizen. Mm -hmm. And those people, those are the people that you have to work hand in hand with when that land and a trust decision comes about. So you want people at your county government and your state government that or understand what land means to us in terms mm-hmm. of sovereignty and wanting to work with us, not, you know, they don't want to come after us for unreasonable amounts of money. Right. And these inter- intergovernmental And not rights. trying to undermine our rights. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad Lori mentioned sort of it's electing them in the first place because my head first went to, you know, Lobbying those same people, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. kind of, you know, developing relationships with those people so that they don't just think of us as some a faceless tribe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They think of specific tribal members and they have relationships with those tribal members because that's how it really changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, I mean, you don't, if it's a faceless entity that you can go throw stones at, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They're, mm-hmm. you know, they might want to, but like if they think, oh, well, I know Megan, I know Lori, you know what I mean? I, you know. And I think they realize where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a platform to, like, explain what's really happening from our perspective. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And to hear their concerns, which maybe we can address in some way, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, you touch on, um, use the term faceless tribe. And I think that's so interesting because I was, and again, not to go down a rabbit trail, um, which I am <laughs> prone to do at times. <laughs> Because it's fun to talk. Um, But, you know, I was reading over the weekend about the whole Redskins mascot Mm. and how there was a a Native American 
um, there's a Native American organization that has recently said, hey, we like the name Redskins, and we're going to ask you to bring that back after so much work was done to, <laughs> Many <years>. undo, <laughs> to undo that. But I think it's, you know, I think really the point I'm trying to make is we are constantly having to educate not only legislators, but we're also having to educate our own people, too, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. about why those things are important, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I was talking to my husband and I said, you know, you would think like at what point in time do members and tribes recognize we're worth more than the breadcrumbs from the table? Mm-hmm. We're worth more than our only recognition being as a Washington Redskin. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we should be asking for a larger portion and a, and, a, and a constant seat at the table because we deserve it. We were mm-hmm. America's first people. And um we are still here, and we're we should be known for more than just as a ma- mascot, which really leads into that perpetuation of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And it makes us faceless. It does, and it makes us more of a historical element instead of a people of today. Mm-hmm. And so, I think just to kind of bring it back full circle, mm-hmm. as as much as we can, we have to continue to advocate in a way that keeps us from being nameless and faceless. I agree. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Thank y'all so much for your time. I really am so glad that um, y'all were able to set aside some time. I know that you both are incredibly busy and have lots of big fish to fry on any given day. <laughs> um, but it's it's really been wonderful to have both of you here um, at a place called Porch. Well, We've enjoyed you. it. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for listening to A Place Called Porch. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit our website, porchcreekindians.org, for more information, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram.